This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chefs. Welcome back, guys. This is Rahul, uh, still without my two co-hosts, Jackie and Alex, uh, but they will be back very soon, I assure you of that. Uh, but in the meantime, I continue to bring in the big guns, uh, and it doesn't get much bigger than this, guys. Uh, you may have heard of him. You've definitely heard of him. Uh, CFC Central on Twitter also goes by Sam. Uh, I kind of think of him as as Angolo Conte because he's everywhere at all times covering everything Chelsea, uh, even if we're not linked to the player, he's covering them. So, uh, Sam, welcome to the Premier Chelsea. It's great to have you on, and I look forward to uh, your tactical input and um, some of the things that you'll share with us in this episode. No, thank you so much for the very, very flattering introduction. I don't tend to think of myself as a big gun, more of like a small pistol. But um, you know, happy to happy to contribute and give my humble perspectives wherever wherever I can. So. This conversation has been a long time coming. I know that we've discussed on and off, but uh, really, really happy that we could make this happen. And thank you so much for having me. Hopefully, I'll I'll do the pod justice. You you definitely will. And like you said, I know we've been talking for a while, so I'm glad we could make it work. Um, as we know, there's there's always news around our club, and there's always something happening. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about how you got into supporting Chelsea, um, and you know, doing the the kind of the tactical, um, you know, review or scouting that you do, uh, how you got into that? Was that something you always did as as a fan and and then eventually kind of took that on to uh, bigger and better things? And and we'll do a little rapid fire when, in terms of Chelsea, but let's talk about how you got into it first. Yeah, so I began, basically like I began just casually watching the game. So I, the first game I remember watching was, on the 2002 World Cup final. And um, it was just on and off until then. Like every Indian, you know, I was into cricket back then. So, you of know, course, used to yep. play... still, still am actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not. Thankfully, I've moved on to better things. I can say. <laughs> so I used to watch the game on and off. And um, yeah, in 2004, I watched Chelsea for the first time. And I think it was, it was love at first sight. And, you know, again, it was just casually watching it not really sticking to a schedule, but, you know, whenever the games came on and my cousins used to watch it, I used to, like, flick on the TV and then sit there and, and watch the players. So I think around the 2005 season is when I actually got into it full-time, you know, started watching every game throughout the season. And from then on, I've been an addict. You know, it's it's just been an incredible experience. And um, basically, my football journey started from there. You know, it started as a fan, and uh, somewhere around 2010, 2011, I basically started writing. I used to play. I used to coach until then. Um, amateur level, I played semi-professional. I started off as a goalkeeper, moved to central midfield, then moved to defensive midfield. So it's been like all over the pitch, playing, experimenting, learning. And I think sort of learning all those aspects of the game gave me enough encouragement to try and study the game. So in 2014, I covered the World Cup for Star Sports. And uh, that was an incredible experience because I met the likes of Bajin Bhutia. I had a conversation with Diego Forlan. And it was just the beginning days, like the initial days of the Indian Super League. So there were like talks about Matarazzi coming in and, and stuff like that. So that really got me excited. You know, it just gave me an entire push in terms of, yes, you you are covering it as a professional, but, you know, you're around people who bring an incredible depth of perspective. So from then on, I think it just was reading as much as I could, you know, being a voracious reader, trying to to write, talk to people. And uh, going from covering it on TV, I started, you know, properly writing and documenting everything that I watched. And that's brought me to where I am. So um, long, long way to go, but uh, hopefully I'll get there. You you most definitely will, my friend. I've, I've seen some of the things you you've shared and along with the analysis that you've kind of put into your newsletter and uh, everything that you bring together is very detail oriented. And um, I appreciate it. And I know a lot of Chelsea fans appreciate it. And a lot of fans in general appreciate it because uh, there's a lot of content creators out there, but the ones that have the eye like you do are, are rare. And so uh, 
it's great to have you. It's great to have you on here. And uh, you mentioned you started, you were playing and you said you were all over the pitch and makes sure it makes my Angolo Conte comparison pretty, pretty right. Um, but no, that's great. I'm I'm glad you're, you, you chose Chelsea because I know there's a lot of United, Arsenal, Liverpool fans in India, um, but you picked the right side and, and you stuck with it, which is great. Uh, let's yeah, go red in- was never my color. Red was never <laughs> my color. Blue just has its own sheen. So, right. you know, like you said, I have a good eye. So went for the right people. That's great. And and you started supporting Chelsea, I guess, at, at a good time because from then on, it's been trophy after trophy, manager after manager. But we'll we'll, we'll brush that aside for now. Um, so let's talk about you know some of your favorite moments. Let's start with who is your all time favorite player for Chelsea. I think that's pretty simple to answer. You know, I basically moved to midfield because of him. Idolized him from from day one when I saw him. Uh, also, have a very emotional connect because um, I saw him lose his mom on you know during the season and then go on to score. And I lost my mom because of cancer. And and I think there was sort of like this emotional connect I had to my idol. So definitely has to be Frank Lampard. It's you know, he's been an incredible player. Obviously, we haven't seen the likes of him. I don't think we'll ever see the likes of him uh, ever again in the Premier League. Somebody who brought goals, the kind of professionalism, had an incredible run where I think he went six or seven years without missing a game. I think that kind of, you know, just robustness, that kind of physical and mental excellence, I think, can't be, you know, emulated again. So he was a generational player remains the best midfielder I've ever seen and um, the best Chelsea player I've ever seen. And I think that's never going to change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I know Jackie's a huge Lampard fan and shares some of the same sentiments as you do. And obviously, I love Lampard. I, there's no Chelsea fan in this world. Well, I'm going to take that. I'm just kidding. There's no Chelsea fan in this world that you will say Frank Lampard isn't a legend and um, definitely agree with you. And, and sorry to hear about your mom. Um, let's move on to, like I said, we've had a lot of managers and since 2004, they've, they've been a lot. Um, Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti, Conte, Tuco, uh, who's your, who's one that you've kind of said trophies, of course, but everything that he's brought to this club is, is great. I think I'm sort of like of that old breed where the answers are very predictable. It has to be Jose Mourinho. So, um, you know, the special one, obviously, I, I was a little like I come from a very uh, grounded middle class family. So, you know, whenever you see somebody trying to sort of boast about their achievements and trying to be, you know, a little cocky, it it tends to be a little like, you know, my dad always is very wary of it and he's, he sort of made me very wary of it. But when I saw Jose Mourinho, I think something forbidden came out of me. Like this guy talked about everything I was taught not to talk about and the arrogance and, you know, just the special charm and confidence that he had about him. I think he could, you know, he could raise a riot in a cemetery. He's that kind of a guy. You know, he's he's incredible. Um, players were willing to run through walls for him. A lot of players have talked about it. And I think he was just, he was just incredible to exist in a time when you had established managers like Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger and completely dominate them, I think speaks volumes about how good he was. So I think Mourinho is is unparalleled and uh, Carlo and Tuchel have very, very soft spots in my heart. Yeah, you, you. it's funny you mentioned that because I was watching the Premier League, they're celebrating 30 years and they kind of did a a 30 minute episode on Mourinho and he walks in and, you know, he's doing his interview and, and that famous line that everyone knows, you know, I'm I'm not just one of the bottle. I think I'm a special one. And everything, when you look back, I was a kid, I was 14 at that point. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is the greatest man ever. Um, but now as an adult, I look back and you're like, everything was calculated with him. He knew he was saying that for a reason. He knew he wasn't just coming in, uh, you know, to spend the, the money that Abramovich had and and just have a fancy team. He bought the right players, put them in the right place. And everything from that point on was was just calculated. Of course, I'm sure he wanted to stay longer. That didn't happen. He comes back and, and we know how that ended. But you're right. I think what he did just for the club on the pitch is commendable, but everything off the pitch, he basically elevated us from you know, we'll be second, third. We might be the, the making it to the semifinals. He was like, no, we're going to every final. We're going to go win things and, and become a powerhouse that we currently are. 
so yeah, Jose Mourinho always, always will be special for, for us. Um, Carlo and Tuchel, you mentioned, I, I think Tuchel, a little more recency bias, just hate the way it ended. Uh, but I'm sure we'll see him back achieving things, hopefully not with Tottenham, but with with um, some of the other clubs around Bayern, Europe. Bayern looks like it. I mean, looks like Bayern could be an option. So, yeah, let's see. Yeah, yeah. and and what a what a story that would be if we end up seeing them in the Champions League uh, later on this season. Uh, so we've spoken about managers, we've spoken about players. Uh, the Abramovich era just ended earlier this year. Uh, Sam, who do you? What was your favorite moment? Maybe the first Champions League, first Premier League trophy, or in general, maybe the last trophy, which was the Club World Cup. Uh, what would you say is your favorite moment? Again, I think very predictable. It it was definitely Munich. I think it was the build up to to reaching that that pinnacle, which really made it worth it. Um, for the longest time, the kind of adversities we'd gone through. In the Champions League, you know, the ghost goal, Tom Henning, Uvebo, um, you know, just coming so close and yet so far, you know, in Moscow, just Terry just slipped and, and the ball fizzed past the post. I think, you know, everybody expected that to go in and we deserve to win that one, you know, even with Drogba's red card and, and stuff like that. So, again and again, heartbreak year on year and then reaching that final, looking like we were going to lose it at every single juncture. And then somehow emerged victorious to see Abramovich hold that trophy up. I think was was an incredible, you know, justification of everything that we've gone through as a team over the years. And it was the same core team that won it. You know, Ashley Cole, Petacek, Lampard, Terry, all of these guys who deserved it, who'd given blood, sweat, and tears on the pitch. So that's what made it special. You know, I still have to develop a certain affinity for for our current team because they're young. You know, they've only come up for the past couple of years, but the other guys I watched since, you know, I started supporting the club. So there was an incredible amount of emotional attachment to them. And like for them to win it, it was, you know, just watching it was, was an extremely emotional experience. So definitely going to be the first champions league. Yeah, absolutely. For it's, it's, and it's the same, I think for most uh, Chelsea's fans, but I had to ask, cause I, you never know something, something unpredictable may come up and, and that's what, uh, makes the beauty of being a Chelsea fan because you never expect and you never can predict what happens. Um, but let, Sam, let's move on to more of some of the more recent stuff. Tuchel obviously being let go. Potter comes in first game against Salzburg. Uh, a lot of confusion around his lineup when it first was published. Is it a back four? Is it a back three? Uh, you had shared actually had responded to one of my our tweets saying that Potter plays a similar back three system with. Uh, as Tuchel did and, you know, likes his wingbacks to go up. So that was kind of what I was expecting going into that game, uh, which is what we ended up getting. But what were your thoughts on that lineup? And did you see it as most people with as a back four until the game kicked off and it was something different? Uh, and did that playing Raheem Sterling on the left wing back throw you off a little bit? Was expecting it, to be very honest, because like... Uh, a lot of comparisons were made between the kind of system Tuchel plays and, and the kind of system Potter plays. And there are a lot of similarities, the 3-4-2-1 or the 3-4-1-2, um, the 3-5-2 have a lot of similarities in the way they're deployed, you know, the nature of the wingbacks. I think the first game that we saw, it's a little unfortunate because we only have, you know, this one game to go by in terms of sample size. But I think there were specific tweaks made to counter Salzburg's threats. You know, it's a very narrow side, loves to be compact, loves to press. So having two centre-backs, two wide centre-backs who can also function as full-backs, it was effectively, I would say, um, a very, you know, a very isolated back three. Usually, you know, you've got the two wing-backs tucking in to make it a back five. But this was, I think, the most isolated I've seen our back three become with the Jorginho protecting um, and shielding in in front of them. So it was effectively Kukurea, who was a left centre-back and a left-back, and Aspiliqueta, who was a centre-back and a right-back at the same time. So that didn't surprise me. The amount of risk that was in that system did surprise me. I expected it to be a little more balanced, a little more nuanced. Uh, but to deploy Raheem Sterling as a left-wing-back, to leave Jorginho as the lone shielding midfielder, I think it... It gave me a sense of yes, there is going to be a lot more, a lot more risk, a lot more adventure going forward compared to a very pragmatic, a very um, safe and structured Tuchel. So that was, I think, the one major takeaway that I could, 
you know, be very, very certain of because it's something that we've seen at Brighton to play a Leandro Trossard as, you know, a left wing back to uh, play Solly March as, as a right wing back and, and to make sure these two guys are also, you know, very focused on delivering attacking output. Um, not so much in terms of trying to, you know, come back. Like Trossard, you, you only saw him come back as a, as a left wing back and slot into a back five very occasionally. Brighton just had really good players in the center of the park to prevent those kind of situations where there was sustained pressure. So um, it's it's definitely interesting from a tactical point of view, but I just wish I probably had a couple more games to go by in terms of what is his lineup going to be. I think the first lineup that he picked, the personnel that he picked was um, interesting politically. I would say a lot of senior figures making sure... Aspiliqueta was on his side, making sure Jorginho was on his side, making sure all these senior players were there and, and playing. So I think that lineup will change in in the coming weeks. We'll probably see a lot more of Chalaba, definitely going to see a lot more of Fafana. Uh, Koulibaly also going to be definitely in there. Um, but yes, I think it's uh, it's a promising start in terms of what we saw. I think just the you know, seeing us li- live a little bit on the edge was, I think, gave me a little adrenaline thinking that uh, if we can emulate that in the Premier League and, and be a lot more not unchained by by sort of like um, the thoughts of conceding or or making a mistake and then being hit on the counter, I think if that fear goes away, then automatically this side becomes a better side. Yeah, and that's the... the those were the questions asked, right, of Tuchel as fans. We were saying... Why aren't we getting more out of our attackers, or why aren't we taking some of the risks of playing the ball the first time and and exploiting the pace that Timo Werner brought? Of course, he's not here. Lukaku brought. Of course, he's not here. But there were times when you would watch the game, and of course, my eye isn't as well trained as yours. But I would just say, play it in. Let's let's do something versus just putting it wide and and hoping that Reese James does something or Chilwell does something. So you're right. I I didn't get to watch that Champions League game, but from what I've seen and what I've heard. It was a definitely a lot more attractive, and I say attractive in quotes, but it was a lot more um, on the edge, like you're saying, and and that's what we want to see. Of course, we know Graham Potter is a smart man. He he will learn from the fact that if we're going to be playing on the edge, we do need faster defenders. We do do need defenders that may not get caught out, like you're saying. If the wingbacks are up, we need someone that can cover and and read that situation. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to hear and that you think Fofana comes back in, Kulubali comes back in, and Chalaba, one of our own, uh, will get the opportunities. It's like you said, it's tough to make decisions and and pass judgment on one game, but of course we're Chelsea fans and and a lot of us will do that already. But my for point... sure, I think I think Rahul, it's very important to note that in Tuchel's defense, you know. Um, the drab football that we played probably in the Premier League is ironically what made us really good in the Champions League. You right. know, whenever you at whenever you look at the the technical report that that UEFA publishes every single year after the tournament, there is an increasing trend of of teams that control the ball, control possession possession better, tend to go further in the Champions League. So course, while it yeah. does look boring. Um, in knockout competitions where sides become anxious because they know they have like 180 minutes, no more than that, you know, to try and, and make a difference. It tends to create a lot more uh, space for you. It tends to invite a lot more pressure compared to in a Premier League where, you know, a Wolverhampton will come. They're just going to offer a PPDA of 14, 15, not really try to do anything and happily go away with a point. point. That's yep. not going to happen in Champions League, you know, except in the group stages where, again, we're struggling. But, you know, once we get into the knockout stages where every single win counts, where every single occasion counts, I think that's when we come to our own. So, Graham Potter just has to now look at this as a hybrid approach. Can he build on Tuchel's pragmatism, his his sense of, you know, keeping everything solid, offering a structure that is impenetrable in the Champions League, in knockout stages, play patiently. You know, I don't want to see hyper-attractive football like we saw against Real Madrid in a 3-3. You know, you try to keep it very solid like in the Champions League final against Manchester City and probably take those risks in the Premier League, you know, where, where teams are happy to sit in a block of five or six and um, try to offer a lot more firepower there. So I think it's going to be one part of his job is already done. He needs to just build over that, um, strengthen those foundations and probably bring a lot more of 
the flamboyance that we saw at Brighton and probably inculcated into the Premier League. Yeah, and I mean, of course, that that is it's easy for me and you to say, right? But it has to be done, and it has to be done uh, in games where things may not go our way, but we still have to stick to it and give it time. And I know a lot of people are saying give it time. Do you, as as a Chelsea fan, you know we don't give time to to managers, and we when things start going south. Of course, this was in the Abramovich era, and this was not with the current owners. But do you see? And I'm not predicting this, or I'm not wishing this upon Potter. But it's the end of the season. We didn't make top four. We went out of the Champions League. We didn't get any trophies. Do you see them giving him time from your? experience what you've heard what you've seen uh as the new owners come in or do you say you know what these owners have put in 300 million they want to return they're going to spend more in january what do you think how do you think this plays out do they give him the time that we we're hearing they give him or uh do they go you know what we're going to cut our losses we're going to go find someone else uh, and restart this project next summer tough to say rahul because um like you mentioned, the nature of Tuchel's sacking sort of left us a, a little shocked, to be honest. It, I was awestruck. I was willing to give him probably a little more time, say, until the next international break, maybe even till after the World Cup to assess our options and to see whether, you know, a better managers were available. But then again, uh, Graham Potter might have become England manager post that. So maybe, you know, there wasn't, there was the emphasis to act quickly and, and not let Potter slip. So, um, I hope he's given the time. You know, when I look at Jurgen Klopp, for example, the first season didn't go according to plan. I think they finished eighth. Um, and it wasn't really a great team, to be honest. They got steamrolled pretty often and looked like an unhappy group of players. But slowly, they made the right kind of acquisitions, smarter acquisitions. I think to judge a manager independently of without his DOF, without the structure in place, I think if they've made a commitment of you know, a five-year deal with, I think, 60 million being paid for him, then you have to follow through. You know, you have to be able to swallow the amount of results that sometimes make it look like the project isn't going anywhere. But he is an incredible man-manager. He's somebody who's got a proven track record of convincing players to buy into his philosophy, to build long-term. Um, hopefully, he will be given that time with this current set of players as well. I think Half of this team is still yet to be, you know, completely built. I think central midfield is going to be a huge question come next season. Don't think N'Golo Kante will be there. Don't think Jorginho will be there. Um, Send forward options, Aubameyang, what happens to his third year of the deal? Um, is he going to be a starter come next season? So, a lot more options to assess and three key positions to to basically fortify. And again, if Thiago Silva leaves, then probably one more centre-back to look at. So, Effectively, it's going to be a new signing um, for every single position from back to front, maybe even the goalkeeper. Um, give him the time. Hopefully, he can build what he wants to build over the next year. He's got his um, major recruitment guru, Kyle McCauley, with him from Brighton. You know, Get his input in, see if, if the side can buy the right kind of profiles and assess him probably a year and a half, two years down the line. Like you said, the thought of us Losing out on Champions League is nearly unthinkable. We are not Arsenal. We are not Tottenham. Um, it, it's definitely going to be sort of a nightmarish thought to even think that that's plausible. But um, in the worst case scenario that it happens, I would say give him another season and then see where we go. Yeah, and I think that's fair, Sam, because as Chelsea fans, and I don't want to speak for a whole, a whole, whole group of people, but I crave, as a Chelsea fan, just some continuity i want a manager to stay i want a manager to put his his mark on the team i want a manager to and yes i know in the meantime we may not win things or we may not make it to the champions league but if we're headed in the right direction like you pointed out with liverpool there were always signs that they were going to head into the right direction and and i'm not saying that we're an eighth place team because we didn't finish eighth last season we finished third we've added a lot of talent to this team so the the thought process okay we got to be better but if we are headed in the right direction, I am okay with saying, okay, next season, Europa League. Because whenever we go there, we win it, right? Uh, but we're making the right moves. We're bringing in the right players, like you said. We're replacing a Thiago Silva, who's excellent at 38, but he's not going to be continue being excellent. 
So those are the things that as a fan, yes, I love trophies and I, I, I always want Chelsea to win trophies. But as a fan for myself, I'd like Graham Potter. He's the manager we've got, right? Let's just stick with him. Let him do what he needs to do. Of course, if it's not going well overall in terms of players aren't happy, owners dispute between them. Okay, fine. I understand that. But on the pitch, if things are headed the right way, let's continue with it. Talking about time, Sam. Unexpectedly, Graham Potter and this Chelsea squad have gotten more time than they thought they would when when the decision was made to let Tuchel go. Fulham game gets postponed. Liverpool game gets postponed. Do you think that hurts him? Do you think that benefits him to work with them on, on the pitch? Of course, we're in an international break now. But prior to that, he had one game and had about 10 days to work with the squad. What do you think that does going forward into the Crystal Palace game and the rest of October? I think it's a good opportunity, to be honest. Um, he's The fact that he's come in probably a couple of days after Tuchel um, must have been preparing really hard with Brighton, definitely didn't get time to go in-depth into pro- what the issues were with our squad and, and the personnel and where they were being played. Like I mentioned in a couple of other places to a couple of other people, I think it's difficult to base your assumptions on probably to three to four games that your opposition scouts have, have sort of analysed for the games that you were doing when you were you know, managing Brighton. I think it's more advantageous for him to probably sit down now, get two, two and a half weeks and reflect on, on the larger picture to see where exactly things went wrong, what the team were doing right, what they weren't, and probably try to rectify those micromanagement issues and, and try to fix the balance, right? So, the time definitely helps him. It also gives him a little bit of a breather after a whirlwind week in which everything was, you know, just topsy-turvy and uh, probably was a little too unstable for his liking. So, I think the time definitely helps him in an individual capacity. Like you mentioned, if... There was no international break that would have been extremely advantageous to you know sit down and and have a one v one with every single player and try to talk about his philosophy and and get two weeks you know two and a half weeks of good work in. But like um, you know, I think he's made the best out of the time. We've also played a closed doors friendly with Brighton, where Kani Chukwumeka got two goals and and the guys who did not play in the first game got a lot of minutes. So. I think he's still got a pretty good deal out of this. You know, the extended break, he's, he's basically been able to assess a lot of the fringe players. And I think those players are also going to be key in terms of how he manages the sport. You know, Ziyech, Pulisic, Kepa, all these guys were basically out in the cold. How is he going to bring them back into the fold if he's going to manage to do that? Um, so I think all those issues would have been a lot more easier to handle with with the break. So. Hopefully, it'll benefit us in the long run. Yeah, I I certainly think so too. And um, there's the benefit of playing the games because that's how you learn the most about your players. But of course, in the absence of that, you work on the pitch. And I'm I'm glad that the uh, owners and the club decided to do the closed doors friendly because that gives you a lot of opportunity to play the players that may not have started, like you said at Chukameka. Um, do you see some of the younger talent that we brought in this summer? Of course, we brought in, you know, the big signings, but there was a lot of younger players that came in. Uh, do you see them maybe getting integrated into this first team squad as we go ahead into the season, especially with the likes of maybe Chukameka, who did play in that friendly, like you mentioned, uh, coming in and, and getting his opportunities? Maybe it's Carabao Cup, but it's getting into this team and, and staking a claim saying, I can play off the bench in the Premier League or the Champions League. Considering the schedule that we have this year, I would say yes. Especially with the break that has come in out of nowhere. Now we're going to have you know a, a far more cramped schedule than before. So I think it will be key to, to manage workloads in terms of players coming back from the World Cup. Also giving them a bit of a breather physically and mentally to detach themselves and, and to get into the right rhythm. Um, it's an unprecedented situation to, you know, go away for a World Cup. I mean, it used to happen for the African Cup of Nations. You know, people used to go out for, for December, Jan, and then come back somewhere in February and, and jump straight into the season. But for other players, it's definitely going to be a bit of a shock, scheduling shock in that sense. But um, yeah, I think there will be enough opportunities, like you said, in the Carabao Cup or, you know, hopefully a few dead rubbers here and there. 
maybe even if you give them say 30 minutes 35 minutes after you've comfortably sort of got into a 2 3-0 lead i think it still helps players and the younger players to to gel in to get a feel of the first team chukwumeka tukul did talk about him saying that he's been bought in for the first team picture not going to go out on loan somebody who is on the verge of breaking out so i think him and cassidy probably have you know the best chance of making the jump from the academy side to the first team a couple of others maybe you might see webster here and there probably omari hutchinson um, good to see harvey vale go out uh, for a loan to hull city but other than that i think it's it's definitely going to be at least four or five games hopefully you know we saw malang sa come out of nowhere and and get a run of games so i think um, we could see chukwumeka and and the other guys get uh, a good run and i think it's important for them to know that there is a pathway um with tukul we saw that there was you know an increasing amount of hesitancy to not use them uh, to make sure that you stuck with the senior players to to trust experience over anything else and hopefully porter can do that because i think last season kaisero sort of proved himself to be an incredible asset i think he's only 22 now so just the amount of faith that he put into a young player coming out of a different league to start in the premier league just shows that he's willing to take those brave decisions so really hoping that benefits the the younger crop that we've bought in and slonina to come back in january so who knows with mendy's form is he good enough to to take that gk spot uh, as his own uh, it's something also that i'm very very interested to see yeah and, and just to touch on a point that you mentioned being chelsea being 2 or 3 nil up i can only dream of that at this point because i'm i'm too used to the one nils or you know edging games out and not scoring enough but Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the point of me bringing up that question was we know Potter is good at developing players and and it's going to be interesting interesting to see how he does that with some of the younger crop. Uh you mentioned Mendy, you mentioned Slonina. Um I'm also very interested to see how that goes because Mendy's form has dropped uh and if we do not see that improve with Kepa in the wings with Slonina coming in, I think it'll be interesting to see how Potter handles that situation. Uh Sam I want to touch on a couple of topics but I'll start with Chilwell and Cucurella. Uh Cucurella knows Graham Potter, he's been in the in the league for about a year now and moved to Chelsea uh for big money. Potter comes in, they know each other. Chilwell coming back from an injury had a great cameo appearance against West Ham. Uh didn't get to play the starting into the starting 11 against Salzburg. how do you see this developing especially if we're saying you know potter prefers his wing backs to be like wing backs and playing further up and not really tucking back in um how do you see this going if sterling is ending up being the wing back and cucurella is the left center back that leaves chilwell who's a very good player in my opinion for both those positions how do you see this going and and is there only one end in sight which is one of them has to move on from the club which is not what i would like but how do you see this going and and from what you've seen with uh, potter uh do you see he ends up playing both of them chowell and kokorella to be honest raul i think this should be the norm you know you need to have two very strong players trying to push each other on and uh, compete for the same spot i think that's how you get the kind of performances you saw from chilwell against um, you know west ham so I think it's it's a very very big positive to have two young players um 23 24 both of them you know both are now I mean Kukureya is slowly push, pushing into the the Spanish national team picture but you know Chilwell is is basically in there uh, barring his injury so I think it's great that Kukureya can also push Chilwell to sort of regain his fitness quicker make sure that he can go into the left wing back role um kukureya like like you mentioned has also been uh, a left center back for porter so i think there is an interesting dynamic there also saves us spending say a 95 million on a josco guardiol for example which i think can be spent better on a second central midfielder or maybe even invested in a in a primary forward that we're looking at next season so a lot of good equations i think it is a healthy dynamic to have i always you know look at what happened post Reece James's injury last season we couldn't replace him we couldn't really put i mean insert the pep meme we can't replace him you know uh, it was just impossible to get a like-minded uh, sort of quality output 
from the right wing back position. You know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek couldn't do it. We saw against Spurs, you know, in the same position that he fluffed a chance against Yoris. I think it would have been very, you know, normal to expect that Reese James would have buried it. So, I think to to expect that kind of output, to expect a high level of performance from that position, you need to have strong options. Manchester City do it. You know, you've got Cancelo, you've got Walker, you had Zinchenko. A lot of good options coming in and competing for those for those two wide fullback spots and. Pep was very clear in terms of like the spot is for anybody who can compete. So Walker used to get benched at times. You saw Jinchenko play there. You saw Cancelo play there. So I think that's that's incredibly good to have. And uh, I think this should be a norm across all positions. I think Havertz has sort of like also benefited personally from having no competition at the centre forward role. But you need somebody like an Armando Breuer. You need somebody like an Aubameyang to to give him the threat Bush, of being yeah. the best, yeah to bring the best out of him. You saw what Son did when he went to the bench post Richarlison. So that's what you expect from elite players. You know, when their when their spot is on, you know, on on the chopping block, that's how you would want them to react. So I think it's a very healthy dynamic to have, and hopefully, um, a lot more stronger signings to supplement, not just as rotating options, but to compete for spots. I think that's how we should be looking to build the squad. Yeah, and that's a fair point, and that brings me to the Jose Mourinho days when you and I first started watching Chelsea. We had strong players, for two strong players for each position, and if we didn't, we had other players that could be like utility players that would fit in and, and do the job and do it very effectively. So I, I do agree with you. It's just very interesting to see how we now have, Reece, uh, I beg your pardon, Raheem Sterling in that left wing back position. Of course, it's a small sample size, like you mentioned uh, we can go off of that one game, but if that's what continues to happen, uh, three guys pushing each other for similar positions. Of course, uh, Raheem can't play in defense, but in that wing back position, it'll be very interesting to see how how that goes. Uh, Sam, you mentioned a Jorginho earlier, and you mentioned, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but you mentioned someone who may not be as dynamic and we're trying to play on the edge. Uh, we brought in Dennis Zakaria to, at the end on the final day, actually, on a loan signing. As we go into the further part of this season, do you see Dennis Zakaria coming into that midfield, bringing in a little more dynamism, bringing in a little more energy, covering on on defensive? Uh, you know, when we're on the on we're getting hit on the counter, being able to cover, uh, and then allowing whoever the second midfielder is to be a little more further forward, do the attacking piece, and and contribute uh, to the other side. Very interesting question, to be honest. Uh, I saw Zakaria play, I think, somewhere around a year back for, for München Gladbach. So he was playing in a position very familiar to him, in a system very familiar to him. And he didn't make his UV debut until, I think, February. Somewhere, I think, on the 9th of February was, was his first game because he was injured. And um, he played basically as a Metzala for, for Allegri, somebody trying to go out wide to to you know offer crossing options something he's not really done in the past so for him to come back into the fold after a year to play a role that might have you know been probably suited to his strengths i think is going to be a slight question mark for me like how is he going to perform when when he comes back is he good enough to to perform in a league where we've not seen his performances if i were to swear by his bmg days i would say that you know extremely good acquisition. Somebody who can offer all the qualities you need from a very solid defensive midfielder, can slot into centre-back, you know, something that we've missed with any of our central midfielders. When you look at a Kovacic, when you look at a, a Jorginho, when you look at a Kante, none of them can slot into centre-back and offer the kind of defensive solidity that, that Zakaria can. So, when you talk about playing him as the lone defensive midfielder, you know, at the tip of the pivot, can he offer the same amount of, you know, possessional security that a Jorginho offers? I probably don't know. You know, I, I haven't seen him in a possession system where he's taking 85 to 100 touches a game and, and controlling the tempo. He's more of a player who would allow somebody like a Florian Neuhaus or another of the midfielders. Christoph Kramer was also there. And BMG didn't really spend a lot of time on build-up. In Germany, it's all about trying to progress the ball as quickly as you know as possible to the attacking third and then relying on 
stopping transitions and playing in the opposition's attacking third. So that's something Zakaria is good at. But as the lone pivot, I'm not sure he's qualified to to perform under pressure, under the kind of press that he will encounter here. You know, he's probably not faced that earlier in his career, but maybe as part of a defensive midfield too, like as a as a double pivot, um, maybe he can slot in uh, next to one of the centre-backs and allow Jorginho to do the build-up duties. I think that's a good solution to have. And I think Jorginho himself would benefit a lot from having a, a slightly more defensive profile next to him. He's shown that when he's in the right kind of setup. Especially, say, when you look at the Champions League final, when he can starve the opposition of the ball. When you have the ball more than Manchester City, you can make the Giants fall. So, I think when you've got that kind of a player right next to um, a Jorginho, allowing him to control possession, knowing that you can press high, but you've got a defensive midfielder behind you who's very good at stopping transitions, who's very good at 1v1 defending. So, I think that would be an added bonus. It's just now up to Porto to think, what is my central midfield combination? Do I keep persisting with the Jorginho Kovacic? How do I manage in Golo Kante? And if I play Zakaria, is it going to be in a midfield three as you know the DM? Or is it going to be as part of a two next to one of the central midfielders? I think both solutions work. But it's just, again, um, it's just one sample size that we have to go with. You know, we, we have Salzburg. So... I don't know what his long-term formation is going to be. I don't know what preference he has in terms of system. I don't even know who's impressed him in training. So you might see a completely different lineup come the next game. So just hoping that I have a couple more games to go by and um, just really seeing and hoping that everybody else gets a fair run out to to take that spot as theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And and the games will all be coming thick and fast once we come back from this international break. We got Palace, we got Milan, we got Wolves, Milan again, Villa. So uh, the sample size that we're talking about is suddenly going to be a lot bigger, uh, but we're also going to be able to see a lot more players with under Potter. So that will be uh, definitely a, a positive coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, Sam, I want to ask you about, we spoke about Reese James, right? And we said once he went down last season, that's kind of where things got shaky for us. And and we haven't really invested in, we haven't really looked at that position as saying, if Reese James does pick up a knock similar to last season, yes, Loftus-Cheek can do the role, like you mentioned, but he doesn't have the same output. He doesn't have the same instincts as Reese James does. If we were in the summer, next summer, looking at someone to come in and, and compete with Reese James, provide that cover, who would that person be? And is that someone, is that person uh, you've already been scouting, you've already identified, or is there someone that, you know, you would like to see come in and, and uh, provide that kind of cover in that position? Uh, to be honest, Raul, I think we have the added benefit of now moving Raheem Sterling to right wing back. I think that is also a really good option that Porter has to his disposal. You know, somebody who's very accustomed to playing on the right-hand side some Manchester City analysts, scouts believe that Sterling probably pays, you know, his best gains when he's on the right-hand side, when he's able to get shots away quicker. On the left-hand side, he's slightly more predictable because he likes coming inside. You know, he liked to take the ball onto his right foot and then offer um, the shot on goal. On the right-hand side, he's slightly more unpredictable. He can go onto the byline to cross. He can also come in, offer half-space crosses and passes. So, adds a little bit of unpredictability factor on the right-hand side. So if you will have a lopsided wing-back structure like we had in the first game, why not have a Ben Chilwell on the left wing-back, have Kukureya as the left centre-back, or even, say, Koulibaly on, on left centre-back and uh, Kukureya as the left wing-back, and have Sterling as the right wing-back. I think that option automatically gives you somebody who's an incredible finisher, offers a lot of threat in the box, likes to receive in space 1v1 against the fullback. I think that's a very healthy option to have. So as of now, I wouldn't say that that's an immediate requirement to to buy somebody at the right wingback position. But if there was going to be the need to have a, a slightly bigger squad, then I think there are some interesting options. Um, you could obviously look at Tino Livramento next season, who's going to have a buyback clause of 38 million. So I think that's that's pretty good for 
for a player his of his caliber and and when i saw him in the youth team i mean the potential that he has is is absolutely staggering i think one of the most exciting players that i've seen in in the youth sides and you know unfortunate injury that stalled his progress but he was well on his way to showing that what he can do and and very complete in the sense that he offers a, a really good attacking outlet as well as offering some some really good defensive solidity so can do both i think that is something that the club can can look at um i also wouldn't be surprised to see hakim ziyech being played at the right wing back slot i think that's also an interesting fix because he is a right wing back who would be happy to to invert into central midfield positions offer a lot more you know tactical flexibility the kind that we saw with ruben loftus cheek against real madrid i think that's similar to what you can you can try with ziyech i think ziyech is again somebody who's feeling a lot of strain i think when i've looked at him he's just he looks hyper anxious he just looks very very anxious to make some kind of a, a dent some kind of an impact and he's just you know a playstation player out of control just spamming shots and and trying to get something on goal so i think if if afforded a good steady run of games and being told to say that all right you know don't worry about goals just try and play a game try to create for other people i think there is a, a a very good deeper threat from from right wing back that hakim ziyech could develop into so maybe that's an option i don't think that's as much on my list of priorities as i would say a central midfielder is because a lot of the uh, the scouting work that i'm doing right now is looking at at central midfielder so i have like a seven eight man shortlist that i'm looking at um and like you rightly said you know it's such a peaceful time to be a chelsea fan right now no games so i've just been watching milan games looking at sandro tonali looking at ismail benasser looking at maxim lopez from from sassuolo looking at so many other midfielders around around europe that could come in and you know even value buys like matthias nunes who came to wolves and looks like he's pl ready he was absolutely good to go I think midfield is going to be um, a very very interesting commodity with even Jude Bellingham on the market for say 120 130 million I think it would be wiser to steer away and look at more healthier options financially so I think that's going to be the priority position as well as you know a creative fulcrum there have yeah. been some interesting claims about you know Dembele's contract because apparently he has a 50 million release clause next year and uh, if activated 50% goes to him and his agents so very interesting dynamic there so at 50 million i think dembele at 25 could be you know an incredible acquisition he's played six games two goals two assists four big chances created already so he's showing that his last year's purple patch wasn't just trying to get a new contract you know he's he's healthier he's fitter doing well so maybe a good option to pursue for a relatively cheap price cheap, yeah musa diaby is also somebody who started very well you know callum hudson adoy is on loan so maybe agent callum uh, could be looking to to get us either <laughs> florian words or or musa diaby either of those two interesting to see how enkunku performs you know he's sort of like dropped into a slightly deeper position because Timo Werner has come back. Right. So how is that dynamic going to change? Is he going to be the same force that he was last season? I think those are all interesting questions come come summer. But I think in terms of the wing back spot slightly better than than we were last season. You could place Sterling there and um, Loftus-Cheek and Ziyech also as emergency options. So I think we're good to go. Yeah, and those are good shouts, and I I appreciate that you already mentioned some of the names I was going to ask about in central midfield, um, because I know you've been that's kind of an area that you've you've identified, and and I know the club is looking at as well. Um, Edson Alvarez is another one that Ben Jacobs was on on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that Chelsea would be back in for him in January, so. uh something to keep an eye out for. Uh Sam, we've covered a lot about Chelsea. We've had once one game, one sample size like we've said, so let's not beat that to uh to that. So let's talk about something more fun. Uh I want to get your your predictions for this season uh before we wrap it up. So let's look at the World Cup. Who do you who do you see doing well and who do you see lifting that trophy? Okay that that question came out of left field I wasn't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but, um but I I think um I think in terms of 
I'm the favorites. I would ever probably say like France and Brazil have a good shout. I think Brazil could spring a surprise and take that World Cup. I think individually they've got um, a really really good set of players. You know, when you've got Vinny and you've got uh, Neymar sort of Neymar, up front, yeah. and you've got yeah, you've got Silva at the back. I think uh, it Silva and Militao and all these guys at the back. I think it looks like a pretty balanced side. I've seen them like when I was scouting Rafinha. I was looking at Anthony. I saw a lot of their national team games and they look good. They look like a well-drilled side. They look pretty confident in the way that they play. So I think Brazil could, you know, swing a surprise on people. And, th- France, and they almost think... do a, a World Cup at this point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They are, you know, and then I think their legacy is at stake because if, you know, one of the other big shots win it, then their yeah. five World Cups are going to be in, you know, at, sort of like at, at risk. So I think it's a, it's a long time due for Neymar also probably think he might hang up his boots internationally post the World Cup. So I think that's his last chance to win some silverware. So I think they're, they're a good shout. And uh, France, I think just looking at the depth and, and the talent that they have, I think is is an incredible sort of team to not done really well in, in international fixtures in the Nations League. But you know, in knockout competitions, I wouldn't bet against an Mbappe and, and Benzema, you know, up front and, and the kind of defensive options they have. Uh, Saliba doing really well. I mean, Fofana not even called up. So, I mean, you can imagine the kind of, you know, wealth of, of yeah. talent that's at their feet. So, I think those two sides could could probably be um, a good shout. But, um, yeah, interested to see how England do as well. I think dark horses. But yeah, I think Brazil and France is where my money is. How about you? You know, I I kind of tend to agree with you. Like I said, Brazil are almost do a World Cup. Uh, I'd love to see, and I don't know which camp you fall into between the Messi and Ronaldo camp, but uh, <laughs> it'd almost be fitting to see Messi do it with Argentina. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I, I, I don't know. They've looked good in the last 18 months. They obviously won the uh, Copa America, if I'm not wrong. Um, and it just seems like there's been a shift in mentality. There's been a shift in, you know, playing as a team versus just giving it to Messi and hoping. So uh, that'll definitely be interesting as a U.S. person living in the U.S. I'd love it, like to see them do well. Uh, and then someone who grew up in Ghana, I'd love to see them do well and get out of the group stages and maybe make a little bit of history by going further along, uh, deeper into the World Cup. But we'll see. I think Brazil, France, uh, like you said, I'd, I'd like, I'm interested to see what Germany do as well especially after the horror show that they had last time around. And I'm sure we'll get a, a dark horse from, from somewhere uh, that will, that will get everyone by surprise. So it should be a good tournament. Are you, I know you mentioned um, earlier covering the 2014 one. Are you, and maybe you can't share it yet, but uh, are you maybe going to be in Qatar? Um, don't think so. Won't be able to make it probably. Um, I've been out of like the professional football circuit for a while. I think okay. it's just, something that's now developed into sort of like a side hobby while writing like proper proper novel writing fiction writing takes like center stage so yeah um hopefully i can i can sort of secure a nice reporting job somewhere before that i mean looks like qatar is full already the hotels are you know absolutely yeah. overbooked and and it's flights are bonkers but um yeah if i can if i am lucky enough if i'm privileged enough to to secure a kind of you know reporting role then yeah absolutely you know would love to be there on ground reporting but i think it's sort of like a dream uh, at this point but uh, happy to sit at home and take notes for anybody who's willing to pay me no problem (laughs) i'm I'm sure there'll be quite a few suitors as we get closer um continuing on the prediction theme uh, not to catch you off guard again uh top four for the premier league and in bottom three uh what do you think how do you think this goes and um, I'm sure having seen the likes of Fulham, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth that have come up, uh, initially a lot of predict- people were predicting them to go down, but I think Fulham have been quite a surprise. So how do you see that going in terms of relegation and then your top four uh, for, for this season? Um, well, the top three, top four would probably be Manchester City, I think look like firm favourites for me. I think Liverpool will struggle. I think they will sort of stumble somewhere, probably second or third, but they will finish in the top four. Um, and and third and fourth, I think, is going to be us and probably Tottenham. Um, I think Arsenal's Europa League fixtures and woes could sort of like... I think I'd be interested in seeing how they hold up when 
yeah when squad depth comes into play when when the world cup comes into play i think you know it's going to be very interesting how how they cope there um even a gabriel hazus injury it god forbid it does not happen but you know even if a key player gets injured i don't see how they're going to be able to sustain that level of performance with stan eddie and katia and uh, probably how they're going to deal without a saka or an odegaard so uh, those questions probably make me question a top four spot but uh, wouldn't be surprised to see them in the mix so out of those five probably um manchester city liverpool arsenal or spurs and us so that's my top four okay that's and that's hey, that's that's fair because yeah. um a lot of people predicted us to not make it especially earlier before the season that kicked off so um it's it's interesting that you know as the season has progressed not just yourself but i've watched a few more other um you know videos and content creators and everyone suddenly is saying chelsea are going to make it which is nice um but and and you know we tend to as a club with all this drama and chaos and things coming up we always tend to do something big at the end of the season so uh hopefully it's top 4 plus plus a trophy which would be nice not just for us but but for graham potter as well uh and how about your um bottom 3 oh that's going to be a tough one but i think it's going to be uh bournemouth i think might finish bottom looks i mean they they are at 12th right now but i think that they might finish bottom it just doesn't look like a side that could handle the rigors of you know being thrashed over and over again so i think that's that's going to be a major major question mark um i was hopeful about nottingham forest but signing 23 players and then trying to make them gel together i think is going to be a a pretty pretty difficult task so probably see them also struggling but they've got a lot of quality but i i think they'll be there somewhere in the bottom 3 at least in the fight for it and the third relegation contender i think could be a surprise one i i might see lester the way they're going you know i don't know but <laughs> um maybe lester wolves i think one of those two uh, looks like it could be them Yeah. Uh, Everton I I was look it was looking like Everton would struggle but I think they've picked up pace so I think they'll be fine but I think those four sides would would probably be competing it's still too early but uh, I think those four sides would would definitely be be somewhere in there Yeah I I I tend to agree with you um Bournemouth I mean they made a change early on even earlier than Chelsea in the manager situation uh but you know you just 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 doesn't feel right and then Nottingham Forest i mean 23 players man that's even worse than like an amateur playing fifa career mode for the first time <laughs> um so yeah that that that'll be interesting now i'm interested to see if things don't pick up what they do with uh the managerial position because uh, as you know clubs in the relegation spot loyalty to their manager but yes they want to stay in the league and so uh do they make a change do they not make a change that'll be interesting thing another interesting point to see with them and then yeah i agree with you uh, i had predicted everton uh with a heavy heart because i didn't want to see lampard going down but he seems to have quietly stirred them away and it almost seems like they're up on the rise and coming uh through which would be nice and uh, the lester situation is is just blows my mind because couple of seasons ago you win the FA Cup and now you're here not even having won a game they can't fire the manager at least because of the financial reasons so it's just a mess all around and if they continue the way they have yeah definitely um a relegation fight for them which would be which would be weird because they are a decent side uh, but maybe we can pick up a couple more players from them on on the, on the cheap um <laughs> who do you think wins the Champions League which is my final question. I did want to cover the uh women's team with you but I know we're coming up to an hour so uh who do you win who do you think wins the the Champions League? I think it's going to be a very heavy heart when I say this but it could be Manchester City. Oh man. Um yeah, it, it every, every like season it. though every season it's Manchester <laughs> City and then someone else just comes up. <laughs> yeah, Manchester City and PSG are always up there, you know, whatever whatever the season is, whatever they do but um I mean Christoph Gaultier coming in sort of gave me a, a little bit of a semblance of yes the team is moving towards finding some some sense of harmony between what you already have with Campos as as director they've also made some very smart signings yeah so it, it does look like they are finding their footing but again PSG is just 
it's a very chaotic place to be behind the scenes. Um, a lot is happening and then, you know, it, it just, and they're not used to the kind of chaos, you know, that, that we are in. So, <laughs> <laughs> you're simply born in the darkness kind of <laughs> i was made in it yeah right um, but yeah absolutely so i think i don't think that they can thrive in chaos the way that we do so um but manchester city look like a very good bet i think it all sort of like um depends on how fit erling holland is uh city are taking some interesting steps they've apparently sent their physio to take a double role as the physio of the norwegian team to make oh, sure wow. that Holland's yeah, to make sure Holland's physio requirements are met and that he's going to be healthy. So that's the level City are going to to ensure that you know everything is is done to to protect him. So if he stays fit, if he avoids the kind of injury worries that he's had at Dortmund, I think he's going to be an absolute man, especially in the Champions League, where sides tend to come at you at the knockout stages, leave a lot of space in behind. I think he's going to thrive, you know, and and they're like you said, they're long overdue, <laughs> like Brazil, <laughs> you know, uh, the trophy. So if it doesn't happen, then you know, I think City fans can start fearing the worst in terms of what is Pep thinking about because he tends to take these things very personally. Yeah, and, but, and yeah, yeah. I mean, between the two, Man City and PSG, I'd rather see PSG win it. But you're right. Same, I think. same here, same here. I mean, I, I I have no issues watching Neymar and Mbappe lift it because it does not. It does not bring any kind of, you know, repercussions yeah. to the Premier League. Yeah. I do not want to see a fully confident Manchester City start over next season. Yeah. I think that's just a nightmare, like for everybody. So, um, hopefully, it'll be it'll be PSG. Bayern look like they're they're sort of like in chaos again. Uh, again not yeah. really telling. Yeah, but um, I mean, again, like you know. We are also in that chaotic phase, so you never know. So I, I have no qualms putting our hat into the ring. I know it's absurd, but uh, yeah, I mean, expect us to do very well in knockouts anyway. So yeah, let, let let's but, get out of the group first. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we need, yeah that we need to do. Otherwise, it's it's a definite Europa League. For oh us. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, <laughs> We have a hundred percent record in the competition, so yeah. nobody's and, beating us. And it doesn't matter who's the manager; we just Europa League just, just plays through it. Just, just, just bring it home. Sam, I I am actually going to ask you about the the women's team because I know you watch them closely, and and that'll be the final piece before we wrap it up. Um, obviously, started off with the loss. Uh, I watched them in preseason. I was out in Portland. Um, looked good in that Leon game. Looked good in the Portland game. Obviously, the, they also had a delay with the start of their season. Didn't look that good against Liverpool. And, and obviously, we go on to lose that game. What do you make of this season coming with the new signings, with this first defeat? Obviously, Emma Hayes was not going to let them let rest on their laurels from last season, and, and especially with this defeat. How do you see this season going? And, and can we finally make good progression in the Champions League and, and continue to bring the um, WSL or leave it at home because we've won it for the last few seasons? No, I think it's it's definitely early days for us, and um, it was always going to be a little, little bit of a slow start considering how many signings we've made in the close season, and they've all been individually some very very cracking signings. Uh, I I do follow them pretty well, but uh, I admit that my knowledge does not extend to players like say Johanna Ritting Conrad, who I haven't seen before she came to Chelsea. So whatever I know of her, I've seen her in preseason, and in terms of like my knowledge is limited to that. Eve Perry say I sort of like saw a couple of games after she signed. Um, but after that, in terms of the the couple of profiles that have come in, all look like, you know, Emma Hayes has a very solid idea of how she wants the team to play. And, and the amount of depth suggests that she wants to really, really take this team deep into the Champions League. So um, I think we're still missing um, a defensive midfielder. I think that yeah. profile sort of like is running from the Chelsea men's team to, you know, the women's team. I think it's just the the lack of a world-class midfielder is, I think, going to be very, very key. Um, G is left, and, and I think that, that gap of finding somebody who can either offer defensive solidity or either offer some kind of ingenuity from there. Erin's played there a couple of times. I think, you know, in terms of what she brings there, she's still young, and I think there's a plethora of possibilities with with what kind of midfielder, what kind of central midfielder she becomes there. 
but uh, I think we definitely need one more profile in there to, for me to comprehensively say that, yeah, this year is going to be our year for the Champions League because those kind of squad deficiencies come to bite you uh, in, in the bigger games. So um, I think in the WSL, we'll definitely, we'll definitely take every single team to the edge. I think we could very well retain the, the, the league considering how once our, our team starts clicking and, and Jelling, our four yeah. gets into, yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't bet against the front line that we have. You know, it's it's the kind of front line that it sort of gives everybody else nightmares. So I think it's it's really, really a privilege to have that and, and at least that kind of settled front line that is played together, knows each other well. You know, you've got Kirk, Kirby and Hardo who, who basically have the same kind of wavelength, who now understand each other's games. So I think that that sort of settled attack will help us once we start gelling in at the back and in midfield. Um, but yeah, hopefully that we we can go deep in the Champions League. I think that's where I'm a little worried about. And if we can't, then hopefully Grace Kayoro or uh, Lena Oberdorf to come uh, in midfield, and then uh, we can take it from there. Yeah, and and um, you always just have to know that Emma Hayes is is no matter who the squad is or who's playing, she's going to get the most out of them, and and that's the beauty of what she's been doing for the last ten years. So. Sam, I appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you jumping on. Like you said, it's been a long time in the making. So I'm glad we could get it done. I'm glad we could uh, chat here about Chelsea and the club that we love. And if for some reason, which I highly doubt, the suitors don't come in for the World Cup, you're most welcome back here and, and we'll uh, we'll host you and you can use uh, our platform to share your thoughts about the international teams. Uh, but before we wrap it up, I do want to let our listeners know if for some reason you don't follow him, go follow him. It's at CFC Central 3 on Twitter. Subscribe to his newsletter. It's uh, cfccentral.substack.com. Uh, excellent detail, a lot of information that he sends out and uh, something that you won't regret, even if you're just reading to get it knowledge uh, and understand how the scouting works behind the scenes. Check it out, guys. Sam, any wrapping thoughts before we we close it up? No, thank you so much. I mean, I just want to thank you and and the incredible work that uh, I would I would love to call you my desi boys. You're doing <laughs> that, you know, in the states. You're doing, I think, an incredible job. Um, just the quality of content. I I started listening to you guys, you know, whenever I was in the gym and and sort of like tuning into episodes when I could. I think the quality of guests that you've had, the kind of content that you've been putting out has been has been top notch so hopefully you go from strength to strength hopefully i can help in any little way that i can to to make that journey possible and uh, really happy that we could make this happen you know it's two in the morning but i still feel very happy after a lovely conversation so um hopefully i haven't said something in in a half sleep stupor that i might regret tomorrow but <laughs> but hopefully the episode was worth it it, de- it definitely was and i appreciate you staying up uh late and and joining me uh but that wraps it up guys thank you very much for listening please continue to subscribe like and follow us it's at the premier shells on all major podcast providers and youtube uh and and instagram and on twitter it's at premier shells so drop us a follow leave us a review so we can reach other fans uh, and we will be back next week uh, we have an episode coming with ben jacobs so definitely tune in for that but until then stay safe and up the shells Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.